0: I'm Charlie Clawson.
1: I'm Will Anderson, and I am relaxed. I'm actually very relaxed this morning, Charlie, I've got to say. Amy's outside sunbaking, sunbaking uh, and I am uh, inside in about three layers of clothing because that's the difference between the temperature <laughs> inside and outside at the moment. It's like sunny enough outside that you can sunbake, but it's freezing cold in here.
0: What I like about doing TOEFOP down the line at the moment is you're being very creative with your virtual backgrounds, and right now you've got your philosophy artwork up in the background, but The way you've centered it, you have a giant owl sitting behind you. So I've got you in center frame, but then I have the enormous... uh Intimidating gaze of an owl staring straight at me. And what I can do is
1: because at the moment, basically, my head is in the middle of where the owl's face would be, but the owl's mm. face is there behind me. So if at any stage during this podcast today, I want to intimidate Charlie, I'm just mm. going to lean to one side and then he'll have the gaze of the owl <laughs> over
0: my shoulder in his I, eyes. I feel like it's judging me. Like I know that, the, you know, you, we tend to kind of anthropomorphize animals and read into their expressions, but that owl looks like it doesn't like me. It looks like it's got a problem with me. I
1: feel like owls, in general, have that sense of superiority. Mm. I feel like they're always associated with wisdom, so they always feel a bit sort of toffee, university-educated. If you were going to do an animated movie about an owl, like Stephen Fry would be the voice of the owl. Yeah, or Kelsey Grammer. Oh, yes. So, yeah, in the American reboot, they get Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer is the voice of the... like. Yeah, the uh, overly educated, overly entitled
0: owl. Didn't Zack Snyder make an entire animated movie? Like it was a $300 million animated film that no one saw that was all about owls, like the Guardians of Gahul or or something. Mike, podcast Mike, can you please look up uh, the Guardians of Gahul, the Zack Snyder animated owl movie? I'd like to know more about that. Uh, How deep into the owl mythology uh, uh, did he go?
1: I'm going to start lobbying to
0: release the Snyder (laughs) Cut. Of the owls of Gahul, <laughs> the guardians of Gahul. Well, you don't need to because uh, I think all the best footage was in there, and the revelation that two owls, uh, their mothers, had the same name <laughs> right at the end of the film. <laughs> <laughs> They're both called Hoot. I don't know what do owls do, Hoot. No. What does what, what sound does an owl make? Coo-hoo, coo-hoo. <laughs> no, that's no, not an owl. What, what does an owl do? Oh.
1: That's a bear, I think. No, what does, it what does an owl do? Is that an owl? Yeah, that's pretty owly, I think. What did, what sound who? do they make? Who? who I think that they, right. they who,
0: who, who Okay, here we go. Okay, the film was uh, uh, the oh no, it's not the guardians. You were actually right. It's the owls of Gahul. So it's Legend of the Guardians, the owls of Gahul. Often with Hollywood films, do you think that maybe they need to do a second draft? when they released, like, let's come up with the title of the film. It's like that – I watched that um, uh, Harley Quinn movie, uh, The Fantabulous Emancipation of Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey, and I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was actually a really fun film, but it's like that title – would have put off 90% of people who are curious about seeing the film. They should have just called it Harley Quinn. You know that one character you like from Suicide Squad? She's in this. That's all they needed to say. But getting too tricky with your Legends of the Guardians, Cole and the Owls of Ga'Hoole. Well, I think
1: originally they were going to release it as Birds of Prey and then everybody was like, well, we don't really know what this movie is. And so they said, let's put Harley Quinn in the title. And so they came up with the fabulous Emancipation of Harley Quinn or whatever it's called, as opposed to just going, no, 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 no. let's just call it Harley Quinn. You know how the first Batman movie was called <laughs> Batman? Let's just tell people what's in this movie.
0: Well, then they tried to change it like two weeks. The film bombed, you know, it didn't have the opening week and they wanted. And so then they tried to, they tried to quickly rewrite it. No, no, no. It's Harley Quinn and the Birds of Freight. It's like too late. The film's out. The posters have been printed. You're not suddenly... There's not a bunch of people who are like, you know what, I'm not sure about this film. I'm just going to wait to see if this title gets a little more coherent. Then I'm going to decide if I go see it.
1: Yeah, because a long enough title would have been Harley Quinn, in brackets, and the Birds of Prey. That would have been well and truly long enough already. You don't need to be adding extra shit to the title of this movie. Spend a little bit... But I watched the movie itself, and the title... Gave you a fair indication of what the movie was going to be like, too. This sort of beautiful mess that didn't really know what it was meant to be doing.
0: All right, so here we go. The Legends of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'd hate to insult the, the good people of Gahul. Uh, came out in 2010, uh, directed by Zack Snyder, uh, not written by him, so there is some hope for this film. It's based on a book called The Guardians of a Gahool by Catherine Lasky. Do you want to know what the plot is, Will?
1: Well, also, The Guardians of Gahul would be a better title for this movie than Legend of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul.
0: Yeah, they've already fucked up. <laughs> like, the adaptation is off to a bad start. You couldn't even translate the title. The title was on the book that you based the movie on. Like, <laughs> literally, they already came up with a better title. All right, it's a fantasy adventure film based on The Guardians of Gohul*, written by Catherine Lasky. Zack Snyder directed the film as an animation debut. Uh, blah, 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 blah. The cast included Jim Sturgis, Hugo Weaving, Joel Edgerton, Abby Cornish, Jeffrey. They must have done it in Australia. There's so many Aussie actors in this. Abby Cornish, Ryan Quanton, Emily Barclay, Sam Neill, uh, Miriam Margolese who I believe lives in Australia, yeah. Helen Merrin, Anthony Pallia uh, David Wenham, Richard Roxburgh, voicing the characters set in a world populated by anthropomorphic owls and other animals. Definitely must have been made in Australia. There's no a possible explanation other than that right it's
1: predominantly an australian cast unless they found when they were researching the legends of the guardians that owls are <laughs> a native to australia have a
0: particularly australian accent <laughs> like they got like a linguistics expert in and said of all the languages on earth and all the accents on earth what sounds most owl like uh, <laughs> who uh tuis 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 new tuis new tuis new tuis new uh Legends of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul, was theatrically released in North America in uh, 2010. The film received mixed reviews from critics, so it's definitely a Zack Snyder film. Uh, they praised the performances and visual effects, but criticized the story, characters, and inconsistent tone. The film uh, grossed $140 million on an $80 million budget. So, probably ran at a loss when you add in marketing costs. Alright, so, Soren, a young barn owl lives in the forest with Taito and his family. His father, Noctus, his mother, Morella, his older brother, Clud, and his younger sister, Iglantine. Iglantine. Mrs. Oh, fuck it. Do I have to read all these stupid fucking names? This is why I hate fantasy. They've all got names like Flippy Flop the Flip Flap. You definitely have
1: to read all the names of the owls who have these complicated names that
0: could not be said by owls. Okay, so... Mrs. Plithiver and Mrs. P, the family's nest maid and a blind snake. Soren enjoys listening to the legends of Garhul, which are mythical tales of warrior owls. In jealousy of Soren's flight talent, one day, Clud, I've forgotten all these people are already. Clud pushes him off a branch, but inadvertently falls as well. On the ground, uh, being flightless, they are attacked by a Tasmanian devil. Oh, huh, okay. So it's set in Australia. That's why. That's, this is good. But a kidnapped by two long-eared owls, Jut and Jut, during the attack. I'm liking this film more just because I'm patriotic. Set in, set in Tasmania, clearly. And what I love about this is we had no idea, no idea that this was an Australian film. Like This
1: is indicative of the Australian film industry, <laughs> that apparently there was a film set in Tasmania directed by Zack Snyder and we never fucking knew it happened. I
0: mean, at $80 million gross too, it would be amongst the highest grossing Australian films of all time.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, the highest grossing Australian film of all time. Uh, Crocodile Dundee.
0: In second place, Legends of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul. As the owls uh, take them to St. uh on the Kenyan land home of the Pure Ones, fuck off, Soren meets Gilfi, a young elf owl, as many other owls who have not yet fled, uh, have not let- fledged. What is fl- uh, fledged? I mean flight, I guess. At St. Aegeleus, the second in command and self-proclaimed queen of the Pure Ones, Naira, begins to say that the young owls are their slaves when Soren and Gilfi protest the are punished as pickers. Clad, who openly rejects Soren, then comes to be a soldier to the Pure Ones and impresses Naira. Grimble, a boreal owl and captor of Gilfi, secretly tells them that he's t- Has anyone listening to this anymore? Have ever? Has everyone fallen asleep? Because I have fallen asleep. Uh, okay, so they meet more owls. They leave the Pure Ones. Along the way, they meet a great owl named Digger. There you go. Australian reference. Oh, yeah. a, gray, a great grey owl called Digger. Uh, oh no, sorry, diggers are burrowing owl. Uh, Mrs. P gets kidnapped. The owls manage to reach the great tree where they're trained in different chores or classes. They meet Bubo, who's a great horned owl. He's a member of parliament. <laughs> <I'm> not, not, <laughs> not not like Australian parliament, but I'm assuming parliament of owls. Uh, one owl, Alamir. I would love if it turned out he was a member of the Australian parliament. The good people of
1: Tasmania elected an owl to represent them in the nation's capital. He just seemed wise. <laughs> He was always asking good questions, like, who?
0: We, we never thought to ask who. Uh, okay, uh, there's a whiskered screech island named Ezirulzib, Uh Spelled E-Y-Z-L-R-Y-B. Ez- Ezirulzib, I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, so later discovers that Ezirulzib is the legendary hero Lizy of Kiel, who battled the Pure Ones. Who gives a shit? Okay. Someone returns from a scouting mission, gets killed. And someone gets hypnotized. Oh, my God. There's so much plot. Um, anyway, let's skip to the production, the development. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't care. I'm sorry if you're a big Guardians of Gahool uh, fan. I'm sorry if I've just skipped over what you considered to be the war, of peace, war and peace of our books. Uh, but that was boring as <laughs> shit. I mean, that is my problem with fantasy as a rule, right? Is there's these... You've got to spoon feed me all that mythology. I can't be reading about giz-goz and slickslock and in the order of the blip-blong. <laughs> Who cares? It doesn't exist. Like, do your well building somewhere else and just give me the bloody cliff notes. Anyway,
1: this is a guy who's been raised. This is a dude who's been raised in the Catholic Church and at Catholic school. You're like, I've had too much ridiculous mythology that doesn't make
0: sense spoon-fed to me for years. No more! Warner Brothers acquired the film rights to the book series in 2005. The studio planned to produce a series as computer-generated animated film under producer Donald DeLine with Lasky writing the adapted screenplay. In 2008, it was under Village Roadshow with Zack Snyder attached to direct. A new screenplay was written by John Orloff and Emil Stern. It began, production began in Australia in February 2009. The film was developed by the Digital Effects Company Animal company Animalogic, uh, rest in peace. They no longer exist, Animal Logic, Following its success with the 2006 film Happy Feet. Ah, oh, yeah, of course. Happy Feet came along, wins a bunch of Oscars. They're like, what other birds can we make animated films of? Hey, emus, quick. Let's do an emu film. But Happy Feet was about dancing
1: birds. This, this does not feel like this is a dancing owls movie. You've not mentioned once any of them like you know just bursting out in song and dance.
0: Well, Happy Feet is really about um, uh, the the dogmatic nature of religion and the idea the the, the painful uh, consequences of groupthink. I mean, you've got uh, a, a, a penguin who wants to dance when everyone else in his community sings, and he's ostracized for that. Um, they're almost uh, fanatical about their love of singing and the idea that someone would do something different. It's George Miller weaving in a bit of his bloody politics into his kids' film, like he did with uh, Fury Road. But also, it's got singing and dancing. Yeah.
1: Whereas this Owl movie doesn't seem to have any singing and dancing. They literally could have got the band The Who
0: to do the soundtrack. Like,
1: imagine a whole bunch of owls like, who, who,
0: who, who. People Uh, would have loved that. Okay, it features the song To The Sky, a song by Owl City. Uh, along with the right. film was a new 3D Looney Tunes cartoon, Fur of Flying, featuring Wally Katie and Roadrunner. It took three years uh, to make. A team of 500 artists, technicians, and sports staff. Uh, the film was conceived in 3D stereoscopic from the get-go. Animal I wonder if this was the film that bankrupted Animal Logic. It might have been because generally, what happens with these Hollywood films? My understanding is that they uh, when they they will farm out a lot of these visual effects, especially really big films, to uh, post companies all over the world. But often the deals are really shitty. Like you heard that story about The Life of Pi, the film that won the best visual effects Oscar and the company that did that for the studio was bankrupt by the time they won the Oscar because they got paid so poorly for it and you had people walk, working around the clock. I mean, they don't get paid a lot. The the, the people who are actually working these post uh, companies aren't getting extra money for working twenty-four hours. They're just on their normal wage. Suddenly a big job comes in that has to be delivered by this day. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of a racket. Okay, the credits animation, the end credit sequence shows the adventures of Soren Gilfie, Digger and Twilight as told by young owls, as if they were putting on a shadow play performance in The Great Tree. It was this childlike quality that guided the animation and the interpreter... this is written by someone who worked on the film, clearly. The credit sequence was conceived by Felicity Coonan, who I think wrote this entry, and was designed and ex- executed <laughs> over three months in Animal Logic's Studios. A small team of artists, each had been intricately involved in the production, was amassed to execute the sequence. Coonan wanted the sequence to be a playful experiment in 2D and 3D because the classic storytelling form of Shadow Puppets is essentially a 2D medium. This is the most pointless Wikipedia entry I have ever come across. Uh, okay, it's released in September 2010 and it bombed. Bombed. So I'm glad we took time out of our, <laughs> out of our show to go to Legends of Go. Do you want to hear some, what some of the reviews were, Will? Yes, I do. It's got 51% on Rotten Tomatoes. 128 okay. sample critics gave the film uh, positive reviews. Uh, 51% of the 128 sample critics gave the film positive reviews, and it's received an average rating of 5.7 out of 10. The site's critical consensus is that the legend of Guardians' dark tone and dazzling visuals are to be admired, even if they're ultimately let down by a story that never lives up to its full potential. Hmm. Does that sound like any other Zack, Zack, Snyder? Zack Snyder film? <laughs> Gee, they're talking about a potential sequel, but this was a long time ago. Um, yeah, there you go. Legends of Guardians of Gahool.
1: Wow, that was... like Even that conversation was less interesting than I hoped it would be let alone the movie itself. (laughs) So less interesting. I I went from being immediately curious. I feel like this was the entire pitch process and then the process of actually making the film was the idea of it sounded really cool. And then the longer it went on and the more it got
0: explained, everybody was like, oh, this is terrible. Do you think it's one of those things where you're know, you pitching this to studio executives and because they don't understand it, they think, shit, I don't want to look dumb. Like maybe this is, Lord of the Rings was a big hit and I'm not, I'm not, this guy's bloody throwing out Sorens and guilfies and Fligflogs and Blinks and I have no idea what the hell he's talking about. But I know that the last film I didn't understand made a billion dollars. So let's green light this fucker. Maybe that's the approach we've got to take to pitching
1: things to Hollywood. We've got to get on the back of somebody who's just had an an unexplained hit
0: and then just go in and confuse them. I remember seeing in the making of the first Matrix, there's a behind the scenes with the Wachowskis. And they say literally that the first meeting they had with the Warner Brothers is they said, "We know we've bought something cool. We don't understand it. We don't know what it means, but we just think it's cool." <laughs> so that was their that was their kind of uh, um, uh, their their assessment process. Is it's like we think this could work. We're going to throw a hundred million dollars at this thing because we think it can work. So it's almost like that philosophy of like if you hit on a hundred people, you know, if 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 one makes out with you out of the 100 then it was worth it (laughs) why
1: why couldn't we be those people i'm happy to be the people that they gave the money to and it didn't work out
0: just one 100 million dollar shot to get something right no it's funny you should bring this up because uh i uh, was watching we've talked about red letter media uh they do their breakdowns of adam sandler films kind of regularly on their show and they had this theory about adam sandler films about why they're so terrible and It seems to me like this should be our game plan. This is what we should be doing. So their theory about what Adam Sandler or Happy Madison does as a production company, because it's not just Adam Sandler films, but it's all the films he makes for his mates, is Adam Sandler goes to Netflix and says, hey, give us $150 million and I'll make you four films for for your channel. And so then Netflix is like, great. And Adam's like, cool. I know you'll get Chris Rock. You'll get David Spade. You get all, you know, his, his menagerie of, of, of mates. Rob Schneider. They're like, do we have to? He goes, Rob Schneider. <laughs> yeah. So they get that $150 million for their four films. $4 films 4000000 of that goes to the production of the movies. The $146 million goes to giving his mates $2 million paydays flying everyone to Hawaii, putting up their families, having like, sh- just abridging the shoot days. And so they, they, there's a new film out called The Wrong Missy, and So they break it down. And when you look at it, it's like, yeah, that's right. The last kind of five Adam Sandler films have all been set in Europe, in Hawaii, in these tropical paradises. The directors of these films have all been people who have come with no background. So, or they've made a bunch of shorts or, you know, YouTube videos, or whatever. So it's like, well, hire that director, We'll pay him like $50,000. He'll be just grateful to get the credit and, you know, uh, and, and the and the job. But that means we don't really have to kind of listen to what he's saying. We'll just turn up and do the least amount of work possible. And then everything else is product placement. So they've just gotten all this money from Netflix and then they'll do a separate deal with whatever hotel chain is in Hawaii, whatever cruise ship is in, you know, Europe, all this kind of stuff. And they just all make out like fucking bandits. So it's like, you and I could do that. We come up with terrible ideas all the time and we make things really cheaply. So you and I need to go pitch a bunch of ideas to people for big amounts of money that we then keep the majority of and put a minimum amount of effort into what we produce, like we do with this show. <laughs> I like it. This could be the
1: new way for... We could be the new Happy Madison. Tofop could be... The new Happy Madison. I've got a whole bunch of unemployed friends right now who'd be happy to be in something if they got to stay in a nice hotel
0: and got a car at the end of it. Yeah, that's right. Like, we just need to come up with an idea that the, the thinnest premise possible, and it doesn't have to be like a narrative, like, you know, it could be some kind of like panel show or some kind of like game show or something. But essentially, you and I and our friends all get paid really well. Our families get taken care of. We all maybe go on a holiday together, And we just produce something really easily, which is just this. It's just us talking. And somehow we we make a lot of money from it. Where do we... Okay, let's just start with
1: what we want to achieve. Okay, Let's do it the Adam Sandler way. So I imagine they Mm -hmm. first start with, where do we want to go on holidays? That's your first question before anything else is, where do we want to go on holidays? So where do we want to go on holidays? Well,
0: we travel restrictions. It's got to be somewhere within Australia, right? Or New Zealand, Probably. We could probably go to New Zealand. I'd like to go somewhere warm. Like, I'd like to go to Broome again. I thought Broom's really beautiful and it's kind of chilled out and stuff. And it sort of would be accommodating to production because uh, they've got, like, good light up there and a lot of space. You're not sort of paying a fortune for locations and stuff like that. Broome or, or you know, Byron would be good, but it might be get crowded around school holidays.
1: I've never been to Broome. Okay. So... There is some advantage in that maybe we do the first one at Byron just because I already live close enough to it, right? Yeah, but then I I, I thought that that wouldn't be good for you. I thought maybe you'd want a holiday. <laughs> yeah, no, I no. understand. I definitely want a holiday, but we're selling a four-picture deal or something, aren't we? So yeah. like we could do yeah. one close to home, get it sort of done around the local community, easy to shoot, proof of concept. We could probably do one as a proof of concept, right? You do this yeah. sort of thing that yes. we shoot around Byron, we get the mates up to Byron, they can all just stay at their house and whatever. We shoot something as a proof of concept going, here's a low budget example of something that we shot in a weekend that we could actually you know, do in these other places. And then for our first one where we've got some money, we go to Broome. So I've never been okay. to Broome before. So I'm, I'm very happy to go to Broome. This is, I'm, I'm excited about this already. I think it's basically the only place in Australia that I haven't been to Broome. So... Very exciting for me. On my bucket list. Where do we stay in Broome?
0: Um, okay, so there's a big resort that I think like, I don't know if Kerry Stokes owns it, but he's definitely got residents nearby. So uh, last time I was at this resort, I saw Gil McLaughlin hanging out with his family. It's that kind of place. It's where it's beautiful. It's right on the beach. It's uh, it, it's really luxurious. There's a lot of little bungalows everywhere. There's tennis courts, things like that. Lots of stuff for us, for us to do when we're not filming. Because I think we should keep our... Shoot, like, generally, uh, on set, shooting days are between 10 and 12 hours. Sometimes they'll go 14 hours. I say we do oh. six hours filming a day. <laughs> Maybe four. I say between... No, I
1: like the fact that they're normally between 10 and 12 hours, so I say we shoot between 10 and 12. Every day, <laughs> 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock, midday, we shoot. Two hours, that's it. The rest of the day is our
0: free time. Yeah, I love it. That's awesome. Okay. So, do we then have to... Uh, so, we've got a location... We know where we're staying. Um, we bring friends and family as well. Everyone gets put up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, friends and family. So we need a
1: storyline that will involve our friends and family coming up and, and will in, involve some product placement so we can comp the accommodation at this resort.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, firstly, we'll do a deal with the resort. So we'll feature them. So yeah. it's it's about – now, is it in the Tofop realm or are we doing something completely original? Are we saying it's like, you know, you know sometimes um, there'll be a show that – does well like uh, uh a sketch character like a ali g or whatever and so suddenly they'll spin that off into a movie where they'll create a whole narrative around it is it like oh this is you know the tofop the feature film
1: i don't see why not
0: <laughs> Well, why, why couldn't it be that
1: why couldn't it be tofop the feature film i don't like why not if we're going to cast ourselves in it anyway yeah i mean we are the cheapest people to cast in the first place so it'd probably be stupid not to at least cast ourselves in the middle of it doesn't mean that it all has to be about us but that no. we could be in the middle of it somehow
0: no and also we want to have we to keep most of the money we need to occupy as many of the kind of uh key creative roles as possible so we need to be writers producers not directors because that comes with some responsibility we'll hire someone straight out of film school to do that Or just get someone in broom we'll get a broom local to uh, <laughs> to come direct the film. Am I being silly in bringing up the fact that you're married to a director? Is there any chance Gemma could just direct it for us? Gemma has standards. <laughs> I doubt that she'd want to be associated with this obvious and cynical cash grab.
1: <laughs> if we said to her, you don't have to put your name on
0: it. All right. Alan, Alan Smithy kind of thing. Lee Lee Clausen. Okay. <laughs> you,
1: you direct them under the name Lee Clausen. Her last name and your last name. So... Um, you can pretend it's a guy, the whole thing. You can actually literally like, come out into disguise every day to direct if you want, put a moustache on, put Charlie's clothes on, come down and pretend to be a different person. There's nothing wrong with that.
0: Well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I could probably talk her into it if I said, look, you'll get a nominal fee, but the larger portion of money is going to us anyway. Um, uh, I guess it's also that thing of Hollywood accounting where you kind of... Actually, that's not a bad idea. We want to on paper make it look like we're spending money left, right, and centre. So, right. when people ask where their money's gone, we're like, "Oh, sorry, like we spent it all on the film." So, actually, getting because Gem's quite a high-priced commercial director, so that is a good way around it. We say, "Well, we're getting this like really like in-demand commercial director who commands this huge fee for her commercials, so that's going to be a, a big chunk of our budget." Sorry, and little, and we we don't. We don't say it's Gemma Lee. We give them another name so they're like, oh, you know, they don't realise that the money's coming back to us. Anyway, this is perfect. I like it. I like it. Um, Maybe we should write the film under pseudonyms as well so we again can say, well, we've got to pay these writers. So um, Andrew Wilson Wilson and Claude Charleston (laughs) were writing the film. (laughs) Andrew Wilson and Claude Charleston.
1: Uh, okay, so we write it. Gemma directs it. Um, what's the plot? So we've comped the hotel. So we want it to. Ideally, it, it's got to feature. Well, what what's about what is there about broom, the location itself? Why does it need to be in Broom? I guess is part of the. Before
0: we get yeah the plot. Before we get to that, I think we just go for the most cookie cookie cutter animals uh, Adam Sandler kind of plot, which is generally man child needs to achieve something. By the end of the film so um man child is going to lose okay um uh we uh Tofop inherits a resort our our uncle even though we are not related our uncle dies and leaves us this, this resort but this resort has been running at a loss and we have a month to turn it around otherwise it's going to be taken by developers who are going to turn it into a cynical i don't know like um what's really unpopular what what's a good villain thing they're going to turn it into a fucking uh, they're
1: going to like dolphin they're going to they've discovered they've discovered they can like get oil out of dolphins or something is there like dolphins or something off the coast up there yeah, so right they're going to turn yeah. it into a yeah. dolphin oil factory sure.
0: yeah so we have 1 month to turn this place around and so we need to get to know the staff we need to clean it up so that gives us a great opportunity to bring in Hamo Dave Anthony, uh, Chambo, anyone who's ever been a guest in the show, anyone who's tangentially Mike Howell, tangentially associated with the show, we bring them in and we we cast them in roles as the wacky kind of staff that we have to kind of you know get into ship-shape condition. So, are we just
1: running a hotel now? Is that the
0: the premise of this? <laughs> it's faulty towers, towers. <laughs> essentially. No, but I think I think the thing is that um, we are. In order to minimise, because the the trick to this is we don't want to be working too much. We don't want to have too many days on set. We don't want to be on camera too much. (laughs) So I think think that maybe we set the film up, but then the focus shifts to the wacky colleagues, you know, because that's what I think Adam Sandler does with uh, his mates is it's like, yeah, sure, I'm in this, but I want to go um, paragliding today. So Chris Rock, David Spade. (laughs) This can be about you and getting to know your wives better or whatever happens in grown ups. Well, how about we?
1: Um, in, in, so, there's a listener to the podcast, dies and leaves us his hotel. Like, he loved the podcast so much, okay, that he good. decides to leave us his hotel. And we go up there um, to see if we can, uh, well, we, we want to sell the hotel because we, we don't have any experience running a hotel. Like, you know, that that's ridiculous. So we're going to sell the hotel and, and keep the money. But it turns out the person where um, we discover when we go up there, but we think before we sell the hotel, we own a hotel. We might as well throw a party for all of our friends oh, yeah. at our hotel. Let's not oversimpl- Like That means that a lot of the partying scenes that we're going to be having, regardless, we can just like roll a camera on some of that stuff, get B-roll that's perfect. at the very least. That's right? Really good. So yeah, we decide before yeah. we sell this hotel um, that – uh that we are going to um, just have this party to end all parties and we invite all our friends up to Broome to stay at our resort and have this like party. But when we go up there, we discover the person who's made us the offer for the hotel is this guy who's actually going to turn it into a dolphin oil factory. (laughs) And we also (laughs) fall in love with the staff there and realize that a hotel is more than just a building that we can sell. It's, you know, this place where... And then, you know, blah, blah, blah. The rest the rest is other characters falling in love or whatever. I don't know. It st-
0: still sounds like we're featured too heavily. It's almost like we need to... We need a reason to not be in the story from the first act. So, yeah, we, you know, we get given this hotel. We go and have the party. But then, oh, here's what happens. We're at the party. That big reveal happens that the, you know, the prospective buyer is going to turn into a dolphin oil factory. And then some accident happens at the party where you and I get knocked out and put into a coma. And so it's up to the staff. It's up to the staff of the hotel to kind of pull things together. And so that way you and I can spend our days at the beach and, you know, doing what you do on broom. That's our
1: formula for every movie. Every movie starts with some... A ridiculous premise where we land in a place, go to a party and and get somehow end up in a coma
0: for the rest of the movie until the end. (laughs) I just love it. And we'll shoot them in sequence, like in chronological order. So for some reason, by the time we wake up from the coma, for some reason we're both really tanned. (laughs) Because we've had like six weeks in this paradise location where we've just been hanging out on the beach and drinking margaritas and just having a great time and then we just come in and shoot our 15 minutes you've got the outline outline of scuba goggles around you we don't even bother like learning the lines we're lying in the bed when we wake up in the coma with the script we're still reading the the lines off the script in our hands i love it yeah i like it that's a good that's a good formula for the movies.
1: if we can set that up early where we just go somewhere and then like two days into shooting
0: Will and Charlie fall into coma. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how much money do you think we could get? Like, realistically, if you the low-level Australian movie budgets around is between sort of 1.5 and 3 million. So, like, if we really put our minds to it and we tried to raise money, like we just sort of leaned on every contact we had and we got, asked all our listeners to kind of, you know, we did some crowdfunding, do you reckon we could get... I reckon we could get a million. I reckon we at the bare minimum a million dollars to make this film.
1: I think we could probably get a million dollars and if we're doing the deals properly, this is the real thing. We don't want to be paying for anything. No. Like if we could get the right deal with the hotel, if you could get the right deal with the airline, we're willing to shoot. We've clearly demonstrated we're willing to shoot yeah, us getting on the Virgin plane to fly to Broome if that's you know the deal that we've done with Virgin the airlines need some good press coming out of this pandemic you know the resorts
0: need some good press we make this a we do a deal with Tourism Australia I just had a great idea for more product placement that we can cram in so we're in the coma right and they're like well we think the one way to bring them out I mean we're both in the same coma in beds beside each other for some reason so we're both in the same coma and um, bedside. Each other. And this is great too because we'll need some padding. And so the camera can like push in on us our comatose faces and then we can the screen we can just fade and we just insert some like excerpts from Tofop like we just cut to like a black screen and you just hear <laughs> So that way, because we, 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 we need a 90-minute running time, but we don't want to do too much work. So we just pad the movie with some slow push-ins on our face and then cutting to a black screen. We hear like the conversations that are happening in our comatose heads. But anyway.
1: But also, the fact if we're in a coma in a hospital, they can just like have our like, faces covered with a sheet or whatever. And most of the time, that <laughs> doesn't need to be us.
0: Give most, body like, down? They can shoot a whole bunch of scenes with us in a coma when we're actually out on a boat. Or the accident that puts us in the coma like there's an explosion and so they have to wrap bandages around our faces because the burns are so badly and then we just hire doubles to sit in the beds for those scenes but I reckon um the doctors are experimenting trying to um, uh, bring us out of our coma by stimulating our senses and smell is quite a strong sense. And so they bring in different kinds of fast food. So it's like, you know, it's Subway and here's McDonald's and Hungry Jack's and stuff. And that way we can sell all those scenes to every like fast food company in Australia. Oh, look, uh, Will used to love Pie Face. Let's wave a pie under his under his face, so to speak. Well, what are
1: the big companies that we really would want to get on board? Who's the sort of person who's willing? to just, like, hand over well, some money in these
0: situations? WA, Hungry Jacks, is a no-brainer, right? They sponsor mm-hmm. the West Coast Eagles. They're big over there. Western Australians prefer Hungry Jacks to McDonald's, so we definitely get them on board.
1: Yeah, okay, good. And for extra, for double, we'll diss a McDonald's product at the same time. I'm not, I'm, you know what I mean? Like, we won't just show you how good Hungry Jacks is, but we'll have them, like, you know, be able to find a, you know, like, if it's if it's 100000 to have a, you know... A, a hungry jack's whopper in it then it's 200,000 yeah. we'll get them to spit out a big mac as well and for 500,000 they'll shit on a big mac
0: <laughs> <laughs> or they'll die someone eats a quarter pounder and immediately has a heart attack <laughs> i was thinking too like because Kerry Stokes does have like a, a fairly big um, uh, real estate footprint in Broome, mm-hmm. Seven West Media. We must be able to bring them into the picture. Like Channel, maybe we're always watching Channel Seven. Like Channel Seven's always on in the hospital. Uh, and you could do some meta joke where it's like there's a rerun of Home and Away is playing and you sort of see like my hand stir or something like that when the, like a Zach uh, scene comes on TV. I mean, I think even more than that. I think initially when we go to the hotel, there's just strangers coming
1: up to you all the time going, aren't you, aren't you that guy from Home and Away? I love Home <laughs> and Away. How good's Home and Away? I think Channel 7... Or, you know what has the best weather? Broom. Oh, and the Channel 7 uh, nightly
0: news, I think you'll find. In this uh, breakdown of the of the Wrong Missy that they did on Red Letter Media, uh, just to sort of expose how terrible and cynical this film is, they talk about one particular joke they do in the movie, which actually isn't a joke and has no payoff, where uh, David Spade's character is jumping on a plane to fly to Hawaii, and he sits down and turns to the guy next to him, and the guy next to him is Hurley from Lost. And so you think, oh, that's the joke. is like, oh, I'm on this plane to paradise. But no, no, it's just Hurley from Lost. It actually has nothing to do with the scene. It just plays out like a normal scene where they just talk. It never referred to. David Spade doesn't sort of tug his collar and go, "Uh oh, you know, looks like I'm in trouble or anything like that. It's just, oh, Hurley from Lost. We'll get that guy and put him on the plane. Because that's kind of like a reference that people might know, even though it actually makes no sense in this scene. Yeah, I realise in retrospect,
1: I've been thinking all this through too much. I've been trying to link it to a storyline. Yeah. I've been trying to justify what these references mean. You're just saying we just should put them in. But you're just saying don't come yes. up with a reason for the Hungry Jack's Burger. Just know that no. at some stage
0: someone's going to be eating a Hungry Jack's Burger. Well, if you did it, and the, thing, the great thing about it too is we can claim kind of like Tommy Wiseau with The Room after the fact that it was performance art. That we were trying to expose, you know, the cynical nature of entertainment and its relationship to corporations. And, you know, when this wasn't just a cash grab by two guys who were desperate to make some kind of money out of this podcast. No, this is like an experiment on, you know, how uh, the, the commodification of art. Yeah, I think so.
1: I mean, I think if you just tried to replicate the Happy Madison model, it, it is already a commentary on that style of... And so if you just took all the things they did and then replicated the things that they did, that there is some commentary on that already. I mean, the commentary is mostly, we like what you do, let's steal it.
0: But, like, (laughs) it's also a commentary. But we talked about on this show years ago about Adam Sandler and, you know, has he sort of cracked the code with the way his career goes? Because he'll make... One decent film every 10 years. And he'll do a Punch Drunk Lava and Uncut Gems. And then the intervening years is just these terrible, terrible films. But he doesn't give a shit. He's just going on holiday with his family and his friends and get, buying his friends sports cars and stuff. Like, he's sort of figured it out, hasn't he? He's almost like the only person who really gets it. The
1: ones who take it all seriously. I mean, because at the end of the day, I think he realises... I'm just an entertainer. I'm just in this to have some fun and to be funny. And, you know, I'm not going to let it destroy every aspect of my life to, you know, make this incredible art because at the end of the day, who fucking cares? I'd much rather, you know, go on a really cool holiday with my mates and everybody have a good time. And maybe isn't that more the meaning of life? Would I be better if, off if I was making you know more good more good movies a year, but I was like you know sacrificing my family and my friendships and stuff to work that hard and make something excellent? I'll just make something that's fine and occasionally do something good, and people seem to be happy with that. And I can just go on holidays with my mates and hang
0: out with my mates and have a good time with my mates. Well, I had exactly the same thought because at first, like, you get all cynical or whatever. And then it's like, hang on. He's actually employing all these people, like this crew and his friends. He's ensuring that, you know, their families are taken care of. It's actually quite a generous thing. He's not forcing anyone to watch these films. Like they are not pretending these films are any good. He's quite upfront in terms of, well, this is just a cash grab. This is just a holiday. This is just product placement. The onus is on us as the audience, whether or not we encourage him. Obviously... It's our fault because they keep giving him money. Obviously, these things profitable. Why would he stop? I mean, the amount of times you hear people who work in entertainment talk about, oh, we went for one more season because I couldn't, you know, there was people who depended on me. Like there's crew and there's production staff and stuff. And there is a responsibility in production that a lot of people are in your employ. So if you have the opportunity to take care of all your closest friends and their families, plus the extended crew outside of that, and it doesn't, Cost you anything because you're going to do your credible film, or you know, he did a, a like a stand up tour two or three years ago that was really well received. I mean, he's fine, like, it's no damage to his reputation. It's not like you know, De Niro started with Taxi Driver and then was doing Rocky and Bullwinkle, and people feel like he's pissing on his legacy. Adam Sanders started as the guy who did funny voices on a sketch comedy show. And now, just occasionally, has these little upticks. But the rest of the time, this is exactly what he's always done. He's just he's just bringing more people to the party.
1: It is when you look at it like that, and I think it's a conversation we're all having in these, you know, different times, which is what priorities in life have we had out of whack? You do look at him and go, there is something to be admired about Daniel Day Lewis, who can't fucking doing an act, do an acting role unless he goes and works as a cobbler for five years first. And we all have greater admiration for that. But that meant that Daniel Day-Lewis had to spend five years as a cobbler. I mean, obviously he wanted to or he thinks he has to or whatever the fuck it is that he you know does, but it's part of his process and I'm not actually here to judge it. But we venerate that. The fact that a guy who likes acting and is good at acting goes away and does all this method stuff to get ready for the role. But... Adam Sandler might go, yeah, but I don't want to make shoes for a living.
0: I'd rather go to Hawaii with my mates. I remember when um, Nicolas Cage was doing press for Adaptation where he played the twins and one of the brothers, uh, one of the twin brothers he was wearing a fat suit for it. And people were saying, oh, you know, but in uh, Leaving Las Vegas, you put on, you know, have him 50 pounds or whatever to, for that role. Did you not want to do that again? He's like... No, the reason I'm wearing a fat suit is because I put on 50 pounds for leaving Las Vegas. I've done that. It sucked. Why would I do it again? Like they had the technology to make me look fat without me having to actually put my body through that again. I'm going to do that. Yeah. I mean, they didn't actually make him put John Travolta's face on his face. (laughs) Oh, I don't know about that. Would have
1: been great if one of them was really method and one of them wasn't. Travolta's like, so we're going to do this with technology. And Cage is like, I will not do this movie unless we actually do this.
0: Well, let's get to some mail. Uh, if you'd like to send us a message, you can at emailtofop at gmail.com. Uh, also, probably a good point to let people know that if you want to support the show in ways other than listening to our sponsors, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash Tofop. Uh, Patreon is like a crowdfunding service. Um, basically you nominate an amount you'd like to donate to our show uh, once a month it gets deducted from your card and sent to us uh, just be aware that those amounts are in US dollars I've had a few people contact us to sort of say "Oh, why is the uh, my credit card dedu- deduction different from the amount I've pledged it is in US dollars so please calculate your donation accordingly to those who have donated thank you so much we're putting up new content all the time um, there's bonus episodes every couple of weeks we have uh, comic strips everyone relax quantum cop uh, James and I just got back and forth on Quantum Cop Episode 5. It's it's going to be worth it. I mean, it, this this is a rigorous editorial process we're going through. Jane's rejected my first draft. I pitched a second idea, which he seemed to like more, but he still had notes, so I'm currently working away on that. You've got to take a more Adam Sandler approach to
1: Quantum Cop. It's sad <laughs> that you guys are putting more effort into the drafting process of Quantum Cop than <laughs> Adam Sandler's putting into any of his movies.
0: Uh, another way you can support our show is to go to YouTube and watch our YouTube videos. We haven't put anything up lately. That's because Will and I have not been in the same space. It's been a little hard to come up with new content. Um, but if uh, if you want to watch those videos, you can watch Lessons for Life, which has just been nominated for another award at the S- at Soul Web Fest, uh, Best Sketch Comedy. So if you like award-winning sketch comedy, uh, check out Lessons for Life. There's also behind-the-scenes videos. There's full episodes, question-and-answer videos. we of great stuff there. But let's get to this letter. Uh, this is from... Adrian, to Colin Fop. Hey guys, keep rambling. It's great. Do either of you remember a children's TV show called Charlie Chalk? Do you remember a TV show called Charlie Chalk? I don't, no. I have a very vague childhood memory of some of the characters snorting a white magic powder to get to magic land to have adventures together. Do you guys remember this? Was it another show? Did it ever happen at all?
1: Okay, hang on. (laughs) I know that
0: I'm asking a lot. Podcast Mike has
1: put up a little entry here that I will have a look at on Wikipedia. Charlie Chalk is a okay. stop-motion animation series produced in 1987 in the United Kingdom by Woodland mm. Animations. Uh, they did. They also did Postman Pat, uh, so that's kind of their most famous thing. Um, oh, yeah. Let's see the synopsis. The series tells the story of Charlie Chalk, a jolly clown who, after falling asleep while fishing out at sea, ends up on a strange island... By the name of Merrywit. characters had to be aware of coconuts which constantly fell from the trees on the island the pilot episode of the series shipwreck charlie finds charlie just having landed on Merriwit and after making friends with some of its inhabitants decides to stay and build a home there the following episodes follow charlie and his new friends on various adventures on the island Is there anything about snorting white powder? It doesn't really have um, any references to white powder. Let's see if I get... Okay, here are the main characters. Uh, So, Charlie Chalk, the clown, we've got him. Um, Okay, in the theme tune, he's described as having a funny way of walking and a wacky way of chalking. (laughs) His funny way of walking is demonstrated when he occasionally tumbles in an acrobatic circus style through frames, around obstacles, or just to show how happy he is. And he has the ability to do magic tricks. Um, Captain Mildred, who's the boss of the island, a parody of Margaret Thatcher. That's what children's animations need. Margaret oh. Thatcher parodies. <laughs> he <laughs> loves to see everyone hard at work and has the practice of listing things that have to be done. A, do this. B, do that, etc. She lives on the beach to ship a buttercup. Okay. Now we're getting to some more interesting characters. Mary the Hover Fairy, an old fairy who often proves useful due to her ability to cast spells, provided her magic wand Houdini has not wandered
0: off again. Um, Lewis T. Duck? Hang on, sorry. Her her wand is anthropomorphized. It has sentience. It wanders off. Its its name's Houdini. Her wand wanders off. Yes, it constantly
1: escapes, I imagine. She probably shouldn't have called it Houdini. I imagine, if she didn't want it to escape all the time. That's nominative determinism, I believe. Uh, Lewis T. Duck, um, to obviously separate him from the other Lewis duck and he didn't get his mail. Uh, A small duck with a short temper. He's full of ideas and believes them to be the best. So he's quick to inform people that he's always right. He can be quite friendly but lacks patience. Um, And it sounds a bit like Steve Price for Australian viewers. And the T apparently in Lewis T. Ducks stands for the Lewis the Duck, but he goes by Lewis T. Duck.
0: <laughs> um, How did ducks earn the, the reputation for being so grumpy in cartoons? Like Daffy, Donald, and Lewis. They're all considered to be cranky. I didn't know. Uh, ducks have just got a bad rap when it comes to animation.
1: It's a good point, isn't it? Like, you know, owls are wise, owls get wisdom, and m- ducks get grumpiness.
0: Cranky, but I don't know what, um, what would suggest that.
1: There's a pink elephant called Arnold the Elephant. There's Edward the Monkey. Uh, There's Trader Jones. Now, Trader Jones is the uh, island's (laughs) odd job man. Well, odd job man, so you might be right. Yeah, yeah. Um, Not only does he drive a bike which acts as a taxi and means of transport. Yeah, what do you
0: think he's doing in that that taxi? It's like he gets a text, "Uh, I need uh, three beers, three beers, come to the uh, eastern suburbs. (laughs) Three beers, mate. Lewis, T. Duck
1: and Arnold the Elephant are having a party and they need three beers. Um, Taxi service. Uh, oh, Charlie. Charlie. You're going to love this. He also owns a general supply store on the island
0: whose motto is, if you want it, he's got it. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely keeping Charlie in chalk, if you know what I mean. Not <laughs> chalking Charlie. He never... He never accepts money. He only
1: <laughs> trades, like, with a supply of bananas or something. <laughs> um, there's a friendly ogre and there's a little litter bug, but no, there's no references to snorting white powder, so I don't I I can't, I don't know. Maybe
0: Adrian imagined that. Uh, he finishes by asking, can we remember any other kids' shows besides uh, Roger Ramjet that encouraged drug use? Uh, no, I can't really think of the top of my head, but yeah. Roger it. Bill and Ben, flowerpot man. They encourage drug use? Did they smoke weed or something? Well, they, like, that was they, a stoner show, wasn't they, it? Well, yeah, I, think it's, was... I think it's a stoner show, but I don't think they ever smoked themselves.
1: I think the idea was that they thought they were stoners, though, didn't they?
0: Oh, right. Did Gus the Snail smoke or did someone smoke on... He, uh, uh, no, not Gus the Snail, but uh, the, the, Bill the Steam Shovel would blow smoke out of his nose. Oh, That's right. Yeah. But as we discussed in previous episodes, that was just coke residue. <laughs> he was blowing out of his nose. <laughs> when it wasn't bleeding, he was blowing white plumes out of his nostrils. Uh, this is from Daniel. Hi, Will and Charlie. First time, long time. Not a doctor, but I did pull out of a PhD program. So maybe that counts. Not quite. In episode 297, you seven, you're talking about poorly timed songs. The classic case, which I'm sure you've received heaps of emails about, is New York City Cops by The Strokes. The chorus was probably a broadly shared counter-cultural sentiment uh, when it was written, and probably is now again, but even the Strokes decided that it was unwise to include a song that said New York City Cops, They Ain't Too Smart on the album's scheduled release date of September 11th, 2001. <laughs> the CD's release was delayed and the song New York City Cops was replaced, but it still made it onto the vinyl track list. It's part of their broader controversy about Is This It? Their album, which includes a Spinal Tap, Smell the Glove-style album cover debacle. Keep up the great work, Dan.
1: I did get a few other messages about, there was a tsunami one and there was a few other uh, badly timed releases, but I can't remember them all right now. Yeah,
0: we got tagged in uh, the Hilltop Hoods with Cosby Sweater. Oh, so that's a good example. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, James says, Hey, Tofop. I write to you seeking advice on an issue that I believe you could provide a helpful perspective on, especially you, Charlie. I'm dealing with teenagers I live in a region of, oh, speaking of that, just a quick footnote, um, uh, bin update, or I should say rubbish update. So um, as discussed, my corner is a, a dumping ground. This was a sanctioned dumping though. Someone did a big uh, hard rubbish dump. They had like piles and piles of stuff like couches and and, and all, all manner of stuff. And um, the council came by to pick it up. But they left behind, and I don't know if this is like a council health regulation, there was a giant king-size double mattress that was not collected. And so I think two things have happened. Either, because I know when you do hard rubbish, you've got a list when you're filling out the form online, what you're going to be leaving behind, so the council know, well, there's going to be this exact amount of stuff. So either that's happened, and then some neighbour has tried to be opportunistic and throw their king-size mattress on top of the pile, and they just haven't taken it. Or... Maybe there's a OHS issue with taking, you know, a soiled mattress. Point being, there is now a gigantic mattress on top of my bins. <laughs> like it's been there for three days. Like I couldn't access I went to take some rubbish out yesterday, and there's a giant double-sized mattress covering my bins. And I was so incensed, Will, you have no fucking idea. So I like oh, I have an idea. <laughs> like an ant escaping a picnic, I grabbed this mattress and tugged it away from the bins and flung it defiantly onto the footpath. Uh, I've now leaned it up against a, a, a light pole, hoping that whoever has dumped it there, either the original person who, you know, had the sanctioned cleanup or the opportunistic neighbor, come get your fucking mattress. Because I can't stand this shit. It keeps going on. Just when I think I'm at the end of my tether. You find a new end of my tether, you fuckers. Come collect your double mattress, your soiled, dirty mattress. I don't want it outside my house. Come get it. Anyway, back to the letter. Uh, James is dealing with teenagers. (laughs) I live in a region of Australia, largely unaffected by the virus. And for the past eight weeks, the school that I teach at has been running a pretty as per usual manner. And with good fortune, it might continue that way. The issue is that our annual Year 9 camp in December is now impractical, so we are trying to market the only real contingency, staying at the local camp school. We're talking 120 or so 14-year-olds. Five days, four nights, and zero sense of adventure from a trip away. Thankfully, I'm not in charge, but my involvement isn't really negotiable. Could you please help by brainstorming some things for the itinerary that I could bring to the next meeting? Fully credited, of course. Thanks in advance. TOFOP. We keep them laughing, so they keep them learning. Uh, P.S. The kids don't know that they're not going away for camp yet, so it would be an unreal spoiler if they found it via TOFOP. Imagine all your year nine listeners trying to work out if this TOFOP respondents is referring to their school. Cheers. Fuck, I hope we don't have any year nine <laughs> listeners. If we did, I think we lost them with that 20 minutes of the Guardians of Gaul at the start.
1: Oh, well, like, we live through this, man. This is our Vietnam. How dare you guys talk about it? you guys aren't allowed to talk about this. Yeah. This is ours. Yeah. Here's, here's what they should do. They should get that local community camp. They should dress it up like it's somewhere else. And nah. then they blindfold, they blindfold <laughs> all the children at the school. And they put them on a bus and then you drive them around for ages and then you drop them off and you pretend that you are somewhere more exciting
0: than the local camp. Well, what would, I mean, what would you, if 14 year old, look? I know what 14 year old boys like to do more than anything. So that aside. (laughs) So let them do that. Let them do that for about the first hour of the day. Two days. First two days can just be that. Uh, give them their phones and full privileges they can just go off wherever they want
1: yeah imagine if you went with that you just go look guys we know this is not what you wanted but instead what we've got is incredible Wi-Fi, and we're not (laughs) going to check your phones afterwards in fact we're going to give you an (laughs) express (laughs) VPN (laughs) each we're going to give you we're going to show you how to use incognito mode and then we're going to throw these computers in a bin at the end of it. Just don't tell your parents what happened.
0: Yeah, you think co- the COVID sterilization process is intense. Wait till we clean up every bit of a, every dorm room after you've been in there. Um, all right, let's let's uh, let's finish it there. Thank you so much for listening again. Uh, apologies for the Guardians of Go Hall deep dive. I really thought there was going to be some Golden Day Hills. Oh. It wasn't really. I thought it was going awful. Yeah. Zach Snyder. I
1: thought there was going to be some gah-hold in those gah hills, <laughs> but there was not at all.
0: <laughs> Zack Snyder uh, lets us down again. Um, uh, thank you again for listening. If you want to support the show, check us out on Patreon. You can also find us on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, will, what's happening on Willosophy this week? Uh, Sean McAuliffe, I think. So very exciting. Uh, Sean McAuliffe
1: will be on the show uh, this week and should, in fact might be out by the time that you're hearing this. And of course, uh, Fofop's still going, and we have an AFL podcast called Two Guys, One Cup.
0: And if you love uh, the artwork of James Fosdyke, go to redbubble.com slash people slash MrFoz. Brand new design up there. It's Will and Charlie as old people, with the tagline, not dead, just old. or <laughs> Something like that. Have I fucked that up? I think I have. Uh, but it's uh, Will and I as uh, the two, what are the fuck, what are their names from the Muppet Show? Um, <sighs> Statler and Waldorf. Waldorf. Uh, Statler and Waldorf. Brand new Tofop art, but there's a bunch of great stuff up there. Uh, James sent us an email saying they're doing uh, new items at Redbubble as well, duffel bags and all kinds of great stuff. So go to Redbubble to get yourself some Tofop-exclusive artwork. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will (laughs) Anderson.